she was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and I am here, listeners, with a brand new to you guest, Mr. Colin A. Borden. Hi, Colin. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm lovely. I'm I'm all the better for being here with you today. I am so, so excited. Colin just was in a play with me about Boudicca, a broad who we covered a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was a great episode. Thank you. I think it yeah. turned out pretty good. But Colin, what can you tell the audience about you. Who are you? My name is Colin. I am an actor here in Los Angeles. Uh, you may know me from the YouTube series Darman. Darman. D-A-R? D-H-A-R-M-A-N-N. Oh, you got to check it out if you don't know it. It's it's great. I clearly don't. I've clearly only witnessed part of your greatness, so I'll have to check <laughs> it out after this session. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's mostly me, man. I'm, uh, I'm uh, just a local actor trying to get through it like everybody else. Well, Colin, I actually have no idea who you brought us today, so I'm in like huge suspense over here. I think I woke <laughs> up like thinking, like, who could it be? So I'm just going to let you take it away from here. Who have you got for us today? I have brought for you today, what do you know about... About, uh, Doctor Who. The TV series? Yeah. I know that it's been running a very long time, and the Doctor always changes. Not always, every season, but they've had a lot of different Doctors. And the newest Doctor is that actor from Sex Education, which is like one of my favorite shows right yeah, now. Yeah, he's going to be good. And they just had a Lady Doctor for the first time. Yep. And yeah, I mean, he travels through time and space, and <laughs> he's British. It's a British show. Uh-huh, <laughs> That's uh-huh. about us. I've seen a few episodes, actually. The Daleks are like one of the main... Yep. I feel like I'm on the spot here and now I'm like self-conscious because I know I'm not as big a fan as some people. (laughs) Brilliant. So that show that you just described brilliantly and hit a couple of very good points about it, the very first producer of that show was a woman named Verity Lambert. Verity Lambert. Verity Lambert. Holy crap. And she was one of the first producers of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. It's very wow. exciting. And she, uh, as you'll see, she's a broad. She's a boss broad who like totally yeah. swooped in and, and took TV by storm. Holy shit. Okay. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to hear all about her. <laughs> so Verity is born in Hampstead, London, November 27th, 1935. She's mm. educated at a place called, I think it's called Rodian School. It's a boarding school in Sussex. This is like a huge, beautiful building. It's like Hogwarts. <laughs> it's like <laughs> they they have a the school has its own private tunnel to the nearby beach. So a private tunnel, you say? <laughs> That's rather. Oh lovely, my gosh. Isn't it? Um, she graduates at 16 with six O levels, which my basic understanding of uh, English primary school is that's pretty good. She did pretty good for herself. I will I will rely on your understanding because I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I know even less. <laughs> she goes uh, after that. She goes to Paris for about six months and gets a degree a diploma in in French. After that, she comes back to the UK where she spends 18 months at a secretarial school. I feel like that's pretty common. I feel that's, like a I lot. Fe- of it feels like it's pretty basic. Yeah, like that. That's about what was kind of offered to her at the time. Somewhere in there, she takes an English class where a teacher instills in her this sort of love of 
drama and script writing, but you know, there's not, again, there's not much available to her. So she takes this secretarial course. Uh, she heads out to the workforce and her first job is typing at menus at the Kensington de Vere Hotel in London uh, because it's a French restaurant and she speaks French and she's a really good typist. So she gets this job. <laughs> that sounds like the fanciest possible entry-level job in yeah. Britain, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm over at the Hotel Kensington. The Hotel Kensington. Um, so there, uh, she works a couple of accounting jobs. Finally, her father gets her a job uh, through some connections at a place called Granada Television. She works as a typist in the press department. Very like TV adjacent, but I guess she's <laughs> kind of like, you know, initial foot in the door here. Yeah. For, for some reason, I don't know, I couldn't find out why she's fired after about six months at that job. And then she heads over to a place called ABC Weekend TV. ABC stands for Associated British Cinemas. This is like a new sort of concept, right? BBC uh, is this mm-hmm. standard for television in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's controlled you know, by the state, essentially taxes uh, pay for all the programming. So it's really a lot of like news and documentary and, uh, you know, a, f- a few dramas, but it's all rather stodgy, fair, kind of boring stuff. Yeah. So the movies are, are taking over. ITV, independent television, is, is sort of started as a way to make TV a little bit more exciting. ABC is one of those <laughs> ventures. So she's there. She's working in the... Uh, She's just a secretary. She's just she's just sort of working in this in a, as a as a secretary, kind of bobbing around from job to job, working in department to department. She wants to be in production though. She's working hard at that. Finally, after about two years, she gets a job uh, as a production assistant on Armchair Theater. Now, I don't know what PAs were doing in the 1950s there in London, but nowadays, you know, being a PA is just getting coffee for people. It's it's like halfway between a grunt <laughs> and a gopher. Really unglamorous kind of stuff. She's probably just running scripts around, getting people their tea. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. during all this, ABC gets a new head of drama, a Canadian gentleman by the name of Sidney Newman. He is the producer of Armchair Theatre. And on November 30th, 1958, disaster strikes. During a live broadcast of Armchair Theater, one of the the lead actor uh, has a heart attack. <gasps> on camera? A fatal heart attack. He's not on camera. He's just waiting in the wings to enter. Oh my God. Dies of a heart attack. <gasps> the company on the stage kind of improvise their way through the next couple beats. They cut to commercial and the director, uh, Ted Ketchoff, gets on the telephone with Sidney Newman and Sidney tells him, shoot it like a football match, you know, meaning just finish the show. Show must go on. Get the cameras moving. Uh, You know, so like even though this is a live broadcast, it's scripted. The director will have a whole list of shots that he wants to get. They'll have rehearsed with the camera. Right. All the edits. It's all written down. It's all prescribed. Now suddenly they have to improvise the rest of the script uh, with perhaps some rewrites coming in while they're getting their their act together and someone has to direct these cameras move the cameras around oh my god ted uh mr ketchoff or maybe it's kochev anyway (laughs) (laughs) it's kochev he runs down to the floor to deal with the actors to try and get them through the script part because they don't have the writer's not there they don't have the writer oh my god so who's left to direct the cameras (gasps) our broad verity lambert our broad the production oh. assistant uh, is left to man the cameras. She she's calling it like a football match. Things are going crazy down there on the floor, but she's she's handling what's happening up in the booth. Show goes off, you know, without any further hitches. <laughs> further hitches, except for the dead actor. Oh my god! Just a dead actor. Not a big problem. Not a big problem. <laughs> 
you know, obviously Verity Lambert gets handed a contract to direct TV, right? Hell yeah. No, of course not. It's the 1950s in London. Uh. She's still a production assistant. Did she get any like applause? Did, did she get a raise or did she get like anything for that? Apparently not. That oh. she does this great job. She steps up to the plate, hits a home run, and uh, she's just relegated back to being a PA. She does this for another couple years. She finally kind of leaves the London TV world. Uh, she goes to New York in 1961, where she works with David Susskind, who's an American TV producer. She does that for about a year. She comes back to England 1962, and she gives herself an ultimatum. She says, "I'm gonna. I've got one year to make it in TV," and she starts. You know, pounding the pavement, calling around, calling every opportunity that she can get to be a director. And she is told multiple times there are enough female directors in TV. How many are there at this time? Yeah, what? Two, three? Oh my God. I mean, it's crazy. Like, that's, that's just what she's answered. <laughs> we have plenty. Thank you for your time. Oh so, all about ready to give up. Meanwhile, the BBC, that stodgy BBC, has hired a new head of drama, and that is our friend from ABC TV, Sidney Newman, who was the producer over there on Armchair TV. Oh. He's been poached by ABC to help you know shake things up, make things a little bit more exciting, get into more populist drama rather than all this stodgy network stuff. Yeah. He shows up with a whole bunch of ideas. One of those ideas is this edutainment show about an old man who travels through time and teaches kids about history. <laughs> the problem is, no, nobody, none of those producers at the BBC, this old boys club, want to touch this property. They think it's really strange. A silly idea, right? They're used to producing these higher brow kind of entertainments and things like that. So he realizes, you know, he needs someone with fresh blood, uh, someone who won't be phased by the job of like pushing this this whole big thing through, getting it through this old system. And then he remembers this person that he worked with over at ABC TV. Sydney says, I remember Verity as being bright and, to use the phrase, full of piss and vinegar. She was gutsy. <laughs> And she used to fight and argue with me, even though she was not at a very high level as a production assistant. <laughs> so it. he rings up Verity Lambert, who again is in her her final year of TV. If she can't make it, she's she's going to leave. She's knocking on every door. She's trying to get a directing job. She's being told she's there's enough women in TV. Sydney Newman calls her up and says, hey, I've got this idea. She has already proven herself as this kind of person who like doesn't back down from a challenge and is like, go yeah. home. She says, yes, 28 years old. She moves from PA right to producer, which is like, you know, a huge- That's a huge leap. Upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> very different job, very different needs, but she's ready in her head and her heart. So it's 1963. The BBC has been operating for 36 years. She is the very first female producer at the BBC. I thought there were enough women. <laughs> <laughs> directors. They had plenty of directors. Wow. Uh, so there they are. Producing Doctor Who is just as difficult as Sidney Newman kind of thought it would be. And nobody, like, nobody's interested. None of the, the standing departments there at the BBC are interested. She's having to fight for everything. She's, like, arguing with casting departments and, and construction departments to get her little show off the ground that nobody's kind of believing in. They have a, a super tiny budget. The budget per week, for, like, one episode per week, is, at the time, 2,000 pounds, which adjusting for modern inflation and exchanging the currency to dollars that's about $36,000 an episode that's for not a giant sci-fi TV show. Yeah, today, I mean, that's like a short film today. 
Although they probably, did they have celebrities to start with, like in their early episodes? Like now they kind of have celebrity doctors, I feel like, but. No, they, uh, and that's part of, she, um, she is the champion uh, for the first Doctor Who, uh, a guy called William Hartnell, who's like mostly known at the time as being, um, he played like a lot of drill sergeants and he's being, he's known as this kind of angry character actor, Mm -hmm. but she sees in him this sort of vulnerability that she thinks could really be what the doctor is and no one's believing in it but she champions him and she kind of gets in the job and kicks that whole thing off um the bbc has this in joke now called verity lambert syndrome which is a way of describing productions that require a little too much prop and set work (laughs) she spends they still say that yeah maybe (laughs) at least in the 60s there oh the 60s she spends that 2,000 pounds uh, that she has just on one single set and gets in trouble for that. But she explains that this is this is like the doctor's like home base. It's the, the spaceship, the TARDIS that he's in. Uh-huh. She spends all that money and says like, look, I've worked it out. That cost is going to be worked into the rest of the season. And this is like really important. It needs to look good. You know, she, she insists that the show is is going to be judged on the quality of its effects and its scenery as much as it will be by its scripts, you know? So she wants to have a really good production value and is willing to go nuts on, on her own budget, on the other departments and all this kind of stuff. Wow. They unfortunately have to shoot the pilot twice because <laughs> Sidney Newman is not very happy with the first round, but she knuckles down. She, you know, gives all these notes. They, they bring it back up and it transmits first episode of Dr. Who transmits on November 23rd, 1963. <sighs> Does that rough date ring any bells for you? 1963. November 23rd, 1963. No, it's after World War II. No, my history brain fails. President John F. Kennedy is assassinated on (gasps) November 22nd, 1963. Oh my God, the pilot aired the day after Kennedy was assassinated? Yeah, so obviously everybody's already kind of still wrapped up in that. It it airs a little, a few minutes late because of, you know, continuing coverage of of what's (gasps) going on in Dallas. So the numbers are terrible. The BBC is already very skeptical. Everybody wants to pull it. They think it's only going to last a few episodes anyway. But Verity Lambert, again, goes to bat for her little weird little show, champions it, and they agree to rebroadcast this first episode, which is at the time unheard of. There's no such thing as like, you know, repeats and and rebroadcasts and stuff like that to the point that a majority of uh, Doctor Who, especially because people are looking for them now but like all bbc shows were just taped over yeah. their master tapes were taped over because it's like yeah we showed it it's done so the fact that she was able to kind of get this done is pretty incredible on its own and that second time that it aired it got six million viewers which was pretty darn Whoa, good oh that's a good number for 63 yeah kicks it off uh you know people are are pretty into it They're, they think it's kind of an interesting show you know it's it's a little quirky it's a little funny but it was different right like it, it was, was different. so different yeah. than everything else that BBC something was that airing. they hadn't really seen before yeah which is, is certainly going to excite people it's kids are into it so the way that those old episodes kind of worked is they were serialized these seasons were serialized with like sort of four or five episode serials and then the next one would start and the next mm. one would start they you know it's it's not like we have seasons today although we're kind of returning to that format we are that's true yeah putting them down whenever they're ready yeah we'll just have six episodes over here we'll have six episodes over there i kind of love it personally i know it's <laughs> it's kind of good better than those like 35 episode seasons that are like insanely not better for, as for actors though i guess yeah it would be better to be on like a, a 24 episode season <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but so the, the the way these things usually work, so they'd shoot like the the four or five episodes, put them out, get to work on the next couple. 
so they're, they, they air the first four episodes that encompasses An Unearthly Child, the very first serial of Doctor Who. They're coming up against the second serial, and nothing's really ready except for this one kind of weird script. Again, this is sort of supposed to be an educational show for kids. We're traveling through history. Every now and then, we're going to talk about some sort of scientific concept, but it's mostly historicals. And the script that Verity Lambert has, ready to go, involves this weird alien race in the far, far future called the Daleks. The Daleks! Sid Newman hates it. David Wilson, who's in charge of script editing over there, hates it. Everybody is really unhappy with this because it's not educational. It's not <laughs> a historical. It's this weird thing. They have this thing. Uh, they don't want any bug-eyed monsters because that's just bad sci-fi, right? That's like what the movies are doing. We're doing something a little more erudite. But Verity Lambert is like, well, you know, if you have anything else, I'd love to have the script. But right now we have this script and this is the show that we're making. Goes against the BBC's wishes, puts out the show. And now this show has been on for 60 years uh you're talking about the dialects you know with yeah. your limited knowledge of the show and so it's all through like her tenacity and her pushing through this system and this like boys club and saying like don't worry i know what's best we're gonna make this work and it you know this thing has huge were the dialects like immediately a hit for the audiences they were they like immediately yeah. Like more views than the first serial? Yeah. It just became like this runaway hit. The show obviously <sighs> continued to have really low budgets and, and silly production values and stuff like that, like which is part of its ultimate charm. charm. Yes. Yeah. And I think that probably helped it stay for so long too. But, you know, she she stretched every dollar and, and, and just went to bat for it. How long did she stay as producer? Because obviously the show has been running a, a long time now. So she's there about two years. She produces 86 episodes. You know, she helps, turns it into this thing. Uh, she says, there comes a time when a series needs new input. Mm. It's not that I wasn't fond of Doctor Who. I simply felt that the time had come. So she she decides to move on. Uh, and Sidney Newman, the head of the BBC drama department, is obviously like very happy. Like he, he's super happy with Doctor Who. So he's very happy to oblige her wishes to mm -hmm. move on. And he starts finding, you know, new shows for her to jump on and champion and build up and create. So for about 10 years, she's working as a producer. She do, she works for the BBC. She goes off and she does some independent things. Mm -hmm. uh, she gets married to a man called Colin Buxey for a, a few years. Colin Buxey is a successful TV director, both here and in the UK and uh, my wife Anna Borden has worked with him a few times <laughs> oh, that's crazy which uh, excited me personally um, she has a cancer scare within that 10 years uh-oh but, you know, during all this time, she's winning BAFTA, she's, she's making hit after hit, things are going well, but she's still coming up against this opposition from this old boys club. She says, in particular, I had a director called Rex Tucker, who was very old BBC. He would <laughs> pat me on the head and say, don't worry about a thing, dear. We didn't uh, get it on all. He was quite polite to me, but I knew he couldn't bear me and the feeling was mutual. God, the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. So what do you want? Like, you're, you're, you're just knocking it out of the park every time, but, uh, oh no, you're still just a little... She's still just a, a little girl. Gross. Uh, absolutely insane. Uh, 1974, she goes back to the BBC. She produces a series called Shoulder to Shoulder, which is six 75-minute plays about the suffragette movement. And this is, a, a, I guess, a big passion project for her. Suffragette movement in Britain? Yes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's still, you know, it's endured through the annals of English uh, television history. It's it's still a rather fondly thought of piece of work. So he, from here, she is offered the opportunity to join Thames TV as the head of drama. And she she's 
there. She's producing lots of hit shows, little mini series. She produces a series of televised plays by new writers. Uh, it's like seven or eight plays. Uh, one of them is Verity Bargate's play No Mama No, which is an intense play <laughs> involving the study of postpartum depression. Ooh. Which again, I, I think you got to think 1978 England though postpartum depression championing a story that is going to deal with that to put on no. television. It's pretty cool. I mean, people weren't even really talking about postpartum depression. I feel like until like the 2000s. Yeah, and even then it was like taboo and people yeah. didn't want to listen to <laughs> you talk about it. So yeah. I think that's really cool. And she never, she herself never had kids. Like this is, she said, I can't stand babies. No, I love babies as long as their parents take them away. <laughs> but you know, she's like... <laughs> She's still interested in in finding material that like that's you know it's it's not her life or whatever, but she's 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 looking for interesting resonating things that are going to like talk to culture and yeah relevant. She's she's very break barriers and yeah yeah, which I think is very cool. So now this kind of begins her her major boss period. In in 76, she's the head of drama at Thames TV. And then she becomes the creative lead for Houston Films, which is sort of the film arm of Thames TV. Mm -hmm. And then two years after that, she's the chief executive of Houston Films. A few years later, while still doing all of that, she becomes the director of production at Thorne EMI. So that's almost 10 years she's doing that. She's, She's heading up all these different companies simultaneously. Are these all branches at the BBC or are these all outside the BBC? These are all uh, independent producers. Okay. So that she's she's making films, she's making TV, and and working as the head of these companies. So finally, eighty five, she starts her own production company called Cinema Verity, which is a play on Cinema Verite. Mm-hmm. And here, uh, you know, she's she again string of hits, string of successes, including uh, the Australian film A Cry in the Dark, which stars Meryl Streep, <gasps> which is where uh, you get that Seinfeld joke. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's her movie. <laughs> I've heard that line, but I never knew what it was from. Yeah, that's her film. Again, she's winning awards, back to she's getting all sorts of good press, and and everything's going well. Then she finally hits like her first failure. Thirty years into her, her into her uh, career here, a soap opera called El Dorado, and I guess it's just sort of the confluence of of rather high budgets, uh, unwieldy high budgets, and uh, not very good scripting. Oh. The show kind of fails. Oh no! And that's sort of like. It sort of marks the end of cinema verity and um, and just kind of the steam from her career. Uh, she goes on to hit, you know, do a few more hits, including the show Jonathan Creek. 2002, she is awarded an OBE. She becomes a dame from the queen uh, for oh. her contributions to television. And uh, she is, uh, she dies of cancer in 2007, working all the way up until the end. It was very oh. possible. She was very close to actually taking on Doctor Who again <laughs> a couple times. Oh. Um, when it sort of hit some rough patches and went off the TV uh, for a couple of years, she she and Cinema Verite were going to take it over. So wait, she was born in 38, you said? 35. Still kind of young, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, young enough to, to have still been, you know, working and, and chugging along. And, you know, all these obituaries for her, are, they just call her uh, one of Britain's greatest television producers. And of stories that no one else is brave enough to tell, it sounds like. 
You know, because yeah. people want to, you know, even today, like Hollywood producers don't want to take on a script that they don't think has like proven money making capabilities. You know, like that's why like Crazy Rich Asians like blew people out of the water because they didn't believe like producers didn't think like Asian led films could make money. And then it like did crazy well. And it's like that's still a problem today of like people just not understanding like, no, actually audiences will like different stuff. Yeah. And audiences crave If the story is stuff. good, we want it. Yeah. <laughs> but what would an early pioneer for that like no no one wanted to touch doctor who and now look at doctor who it's this huge legacy of british television it's like a monster and it's like birthed all of these careers of like major stars now you know like that's what we're i feel like that was matt smith's breakout david tennant david tennant i think it's been really monumental for a a lot of people you know and and it's become that this worldwide phenomenon and and that's been very it's like the the one of the main exports of british uh, entertainment, or you know, writ large, like bigger than films that they put out. It's pretty crazy. I know. I should be a fan of Doctor Who, and I just like I've only ever watched like a couple episodes, and usually they're the same ones for some reason that they're always like replaying like <laughs> these couple really famous episodes. But yeah. I know one of our other guests on this podcast, Adrian, is like a huge fan of Doctor Who, and she brought us abroad that she first discovered from an episode of Doctor Who. Oh, there, really? Yes, there was an episode on Mary Seacole, and she was like, "Who's this?" Oh, yeah. And she did some research about her, and so we did a whole episode with Mary Seacole. Like that was from Doctor Who. Oh well, yeah, and that's I mean that goes. Into it's like you know an uh, initial lineage. I think that they've done that a lot for um, providing interesting histories on on people uh, and exciting minds to be like, oh, who is that person? Oh, that, that, oh, that's really cool. I had no idea that a woman producer is who brought us Doctor Who. That's amazing, Colin. Thank you for being us here. She's amazing. Yeah, she's a, she's really cool. You know, and on a personal note here, my wife is is uh, similar to this. She's she's a director now. Mm-hmm. has been uh, moving up through the ranks from PA. And uh, oh my gosh, it's actually incredibly similar. She was uh, a production assistant on a film, a, a television show out in uh, New Mexico. And the first assistant director who's sort of like in charge of running the set and mm-hmm. stuff like that on a, on a big show uh, had a heart event. And they turned to Anna and said, you're the, you're the first AD now. And she said, okay. Yeah, and you just got to be ready when opportunity knocks. I just stepped up. And wow. so, you know, I think unfortunately a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, no, no, not me. Go talk to them. But if you're like this boss person and, and control yourself, then yeah, you step up to the plate and you just do the job. And then she's off to a fantastic career. Is Anna the one who first told you about about uh, Verity? Is is that, or did you, had you heard about her? No, I'm, I'm the nerd who loves <laughs> Doctor Who. And- <laughs> Fair enough. Found Verity rather interesting, and then thought it would be fun. And then I like I didn't know much, I, I but I just knew that she was an interesting woman, and I thought that the, just the fact that it was a, a young woman who was the original producer of the show was a, a story interesting enough in and of itself. And then yeah. uh, started doing this research, and I was like, oh my wow, isn't that so person. crazy that like women can women actually like there's a number of women in history, and I'm sure these aren't the only two, you know, Anna and <laughs> Verity, but like people who aren't given space at the table, and then there's an emergency, and there's no one else and they step up to the plate right. and all of a sudden people are like oh so she can do it it's like, yeah oh i wouldn't have thought uh, <laughs> i wouldn't have thought a woman had the capability to create a giant decades-long bbc hit but okay <laughs> wow thank yeah. you Colin, for bringing her what a great broad thank you very much to learn more about Verdi Lambert, see pictures of her and these great quotes that Colin brought us, visit broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, click on over to the About page and read more about Colin Borden. His bio, photos, links to all his cool stuff, and his social is there. 
Oh, and speaking of social, are you following Broads You Should Know yet? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, please help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends and family, or better yet, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed Verdi Lambert's story, I highly recommend you check out a few of our previous film-centric broads, and especially Alice Guy Blachet, the first female director, Jennifer Nelson, the director responsible for bringing Happy Birthday into public domain, and Daria Nicolodi, who reinvented horror cinema. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know. <laughs> <laughs>